How many of you have ever heard of a book called uh, In His Steps? Well, this was put out several years ago by the General Conference Ministerial Association, and it was sort of a, you know, a baptismal guide type of book, um, and it went through the 28 fundamental beliefs, okay? It, it lists on the top, or it, you read verbatim the fundamental belief, and then it has just a host of, of bullet point statements that you uh, read through. This is a good book, I've used it before, but it's a little more in one sense than I really needed for baptismal preparation. Um, and in another sense, it was um, perhaps not the exact uh, approach that I wanted. So, for instance, if you look at how this is ordered, it's the sequence of the topics, it's in the same sequence as the 28 fundamental beliefs. If you've ever looked at the 28 fundamental beliefs, you know that they're sequenced by theological category. So the doctrine of God, the doctrine of the church, etc. And when you get in the doctrine of God, for instance, you've got you know, the Godhead, and then you have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and there's a whole thing on that. For people who believe as we do on the Trinity, which you cannot take for granted, just to be clear, because we are running into all sorts of anti-Trinitarian now, but for those who do, you don't necessarily need five pages of, you understand, I mean, it's a lot that is, you know, you want to give some biblical foundation, but it may be more than you necessarily need in preparation for baptism. Um, and then the other thing is that because it's in these theological categories, you have, um, for instance, the remnant is in the doctrine of the church, and then later, when you get going later, you come into the Sabbath. So you actually come to the remnant before you come to the Sabbath. We would never do that when we're giving Bible studies or evangelistic meetings or what have you. So it's in an order based on theological categories, not in an order of how you would introduce somebody to the truth. You understand? So what, because of the uh, exhaustiveness of it, and because of the issue with the order, there are many people who have used what we refer to as clearing cards. So if you go to It Is Written or Amazing Facts or whatever, and you talk to their evangelists, they generally will not use something like this. They'll use something like this. That has, this particular one is an Amazing Facts one that I know many of the Amazing Facts evangelists use, and it's got 19 points. Um, that doesn't mean it doesn't cover all the 28 fundamental beliefs, it just means it's consolidated into 19 points, and it's very brief. Take, for instance, the Trinity. Number two, I believe in the Father, His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. That's what it has. So, what we felt was we needed something in between this and this. Because the problem with this, not that it's intended that that's the only thing you're going to say when you're preparing someone for baptism, but if you are an elder or you know, it, just one pastor versus another pastor, you don't really know if they're going to cover the essential things that need covered when you talk about each point. You, know? you should be filling in the blanks, but filling them in with what? You know, what should I say? What's important to say? And so what we tried to do was 
was do something in a little bit more of a narrative style, has a little bit of a bullet point style, but a little more of a narrative style, covers all 28 fundamental beliefs, but it puts them in a sequence that's more like we would with an evangelistic uh, approach, and it consolidates and combines some of them where we didn't need the depth of you know, expansive whatever. But it also, in some places, gives expanded explanations that you wouldn't find in the fundamental beliefs. For instance, there is nothing in the fundamental beliefs that tells a person how to keep the Sabbath. It tells you about the Sabbath, but when you're preparing someone for baptism, you want them to understand how to keep the Sabbath. The fundamental beliefs do not talk about, for instance, some of our key prophetic understandings. You might never know who we believe the beast is or what we believe the mark of the beast is from going through our fundamental beliefs. Did you know that? I mean, it mentions the three angels, and the third angel certainly is a warning against the mark of the beast, but there's nothing in there that gives any explanation of that. So we wanted to give just a paragraph here, a paragraph there to give some expansion to some of those things. So that's what this does. If you take someone through an evangelistic campaign, let's say, and they come to most nights, but not all the nights or something, and they say they want to be baptized, you can give them one of these and say, what I'd like you to do is read through this, and on any point that you agree with and don't have any questions about, just check it. But if there's anything that we haven't studied yet, or that you have a question on, then um, put a little question mark on it. And then you meet with them, and you first start with the question marks. And you go through and answer any questions that they have, and try to help them with any things that they are struggling with. And then, after you've done that, and when everything is, is done, then you want to just do a quick... You know what, I'm, what I mean? Just kind of, okay, so this one, you're, you're, no questions about this. This one, no questions about this one. No, because just because they didn't put a question mark by it doesn't mean you shouldn't make sure you just at least ask the question if they're comfortable with it. Now, you'll notice that there are some uh, points in this that are in italics. So if you look on like page 5, under the first doctrine of the Holy Scriptures in this particular booklet, it has a my commitment. By the grace of God, I will strive to remain in close communion with Christ through daily prayer and Bible study. So right from the start, you want them to be connecting to Christ. Okay. So right in the beginning of the preparation process, you're wanting them to make that commitment. And then as you keep going, some of them do not have a specific commitment, but if they have a practical area, such as on page 9, after you're talking about the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and personal Savior and believe that God and Christ has forgiven my sins and given me a new heart. You flip to page 10 and look at the second bullet point on that page, which is under the experience of salvation, and it touches on another important commitment point. Having accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, I will aim to become like Him in character, choosing love, humility, courtesy, and kindness in my words and actions. With God's help, I will forgive others as Christ has forgiven me. One of the things I always do when I'm preparing people for baptism is I make sure that they're not like harboring bitterness towards someone that they won't forgive. So this just gives you a, an opportunity to make sure that that's covered. Is that you comfortable with that? Yeah, I'm comfortable with that. 
Then you come down to the bottom of the page, my commitment after the law of God. It is my purpose out of love for God and in humble reliance upon His power to faithfully keep the Ten Commandments. That's clear enough, right? Then you come to the Sabbath. And under the Sabbath, we have uh, both theological, doctrinal points in there and practical points. Like you look at the third bullet point, it says the Sabbath is to be observed on the biblical seventh day, which extends from sundown Friday evening until sundown Saturday evening. Then look at the next point. This was an addition that really we haven't seen in other stuff. Bible prophecy reveals that a sinister power, commonly referred to as the Antichrist, would intend to change times and law. This prophecy was fulfilled when the medieval church claimed to change the sacredness of the Sabbath from the seventh to the first day of the week, a change for which there is no scriptural support. Sunday would eventually become the commonly accepted day of worship among Christians, and many people will no doubt be in heaven who unwittingly erred in regarding Sunday as the Sabbath through the centuries. Yet as truth is restored at the end of time, God's people who were previously unaware of the false teachings of spiritual Babylon, a prophetic symbol of the Antichrist and those teaching-like errors, will come out of her to follow the truth, including the Bible Sabbath. So you see what we did in that one statement? We explained that, hey, just because your grandma and your mom you know, kept Sunday doesn't mean they're going to be lost. But here you are at the end of time and God's calling people out of Babylon and into Bible truth, including the Bible Sabbath. You follow that? So now they understand the idea of the change of the Sabbath and what have you, which is not really in the fundamental beliefs. Now you flip the page... And you look at, for instance, the second bullet point, and it talks about the Sabbath uh, commanding us to refrain from common labor. It even says, uh, labor that deals with emergency situations, care for the suffering, or spiritual ministry is in harmony with the sacredness of the Sabbath. But common labor, even when done out of kindness, such as building a deck for a neighbor, does not fit the example Jesus gave of the kind of good deeds that are lawful on the Sabbath. Do you understand what this is saying? Like just because Habitat for Humanity or whatever, just because somebody's doing some building project that's a good thing to do, doesn't mean that it's an appropriate thing, it's lawful to do on the Sabbath. People say it's lawful to do good on Sabbath. Jesus said so. But when you read the context, remember what we've talked about with biblical interpretation, when you read the context you find that the type of, of kindness or good that was being done was rescuing this ox out of the ditch. It was an emergency situation, a situation that dealt with suffering, and therefore it fit the category. But there's no suffering or emergency involved with building the fence or the deck or what have you. So that's why we make sure they understand the distinction. And if you keep going down, it talks about buying and selling on the Sabbath and other things that are maybe not... Uh, that are not appropriate, and we've actually tweaked a little bit on here on the new publication and made it a little bit clearer. But if you look at the commitment point, it says, My commitment, by the grace of God, I desire to keep the Sabbath holy from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown, enjoying the spiritual blessings of worship, fellowship, and service. In harmony with this observance, I choose to refrain from all secular work or activities, buying or selling, or hiring others to perform common labor on the Sabbath. So are you following? 
And if you keep going through, you find all the commitment points. You come to the second coming of Christ on page 14. It talks about preparing for Christ and not the world. You get to uh, death and resurrection on page 15. And the My Commitment Point says, Because the Bible teaches that those who have died are in a state of unconscious sleep, I choose to avoid entertainment or practices that promote false views of death or other spiritualistic activity. You come to Christian behavior on page 17, and it's got three My Commitment Points. The first one is dealing with health. You got three points on health and then a commitment point. By the grace of God, I will care for my physical health. This includes abstaining from unclean meats and from the recreational use of addictive mind-altering substances such as alcohol, tobacco, and other habit-forming drugs. If you were to look at the one a bullet point right above it, it does identify that alcohol, tobacco, caffeinated beverages, and other recreational drugs and narcotics are both addictive and harmful to our bodies. Christians should abstain from anything mind-altering or addictive which has not been prescribed by a doctor. God wants our minds to be clear so that we are more attentive to the voice of conscience and stronger to resist temptation. So it makes some clear points. Then you get into entertainment. And when you get to the next My Commitment point on the top of page 18, it says, By the grace of God, I will avoid reading, watching, participating in, or listening to sinful things that the Bible condemns. I will strive to live a life of moral purity in my thoughts and actions. We've also added a point in here. It's not a my commitment point, but it's right before this my commitment point that actually touches on, I think we said it's something like, uh, because, uh, you know, something about because God wants us to keep our hearts pure, something like that. Um, uh, Christians should avoid viewing uh, pornographic material or something like that. So that is one of the points that we added for the new edition. And then on the next My Commitment point, by the grace of God, I choose to dress modestly, not with provocative or extravagant clothing, or with jewelry. If wearing functional items, they will be simple and modest. If you look at the point right above that, it says, many people, based on the Bible's teachings concerning jewelry, choose not to wear wedding rings. If one chooses to wear a wedding ring, viewing it as merely functional and not as an ornament, it follows that such a ring would be a modest, plain band. This is actually the position of the world church, even though it's not always seen. Yes. Then you look at the next page on marriage and family. By the grace of God, I will not commit fornication, adultery, or other forms of sexual immorality. I will not live with a romantic partner while unmarried and will avoid any other living arrangement that may give the appearance of immorality. So we have this issue a lot of times where we're preparing for someone for baptism and it's a man and woman are living together. And they say, well, yeah, but we agreed that we weren't going to sleep together until we were married. They're living together. And it's like the problem is you can't announce that to everyone you meet. <laughs> you know, like, I know what this looks like, but we're clean, I'm telling you. I mean, you're not going to do that. So it becomes a stain on the, your profession as a Seventh-day Adventist, right? So you have to not only avoid, you know, and when it comes to this type of area, you have to avoid the appearance of evil. Um, and then if you keep flipping, the next page talks at the bottom about attendance. By the grace of God, I will follow Jesus' example of regular attendance and participation in the life and mission of the church. The next page talks about wanting to be baptized. The next uh, next, my commitment point is on page 
not till page 24 at the top. And it says, By the grace of God, I will support the mission of the church by returning a faithful tithe and giving free will offerings. I choose also to refrain from the addictive and wasteful practice of gambling. And then at the top of page 26 is the last one. It is my desire to become a member of the worldwide Seventh-day Adventist Church through baptism or profession of faith. By the grace of God, I will put forth personal effort to win souls to Christ, sharing the everlasting gospel in the context of the three angels' messages of Revelation 14. So what you have here are commitment points that are dealing with practical areas and then many other points that are dealing with our beliefs and just making sure that they understand doctrinally in the same way as Seventh-day Adventists. And then when they get all the way through, we explain to them that if they are, you know, like I'll read it to you, if you have read and agree with this summary of essential Bible doctrines and have decided to follow Christ as described by its corresponding practical commitments, you are encouraged to take the important step of becoming a member of a local congregation of the Worldwide Seventh-day Adventist Church family. This happens in one of two ways. And then we have baptism, profession of faith, and then when they flip the page, it tells them what they are going to commit to on the day of their baptism, which is the 13 baptismal vows directly out of the church manual. Now, some people say, why do we talk about specific things in regard to you know, health and other things when they're not clearly expressed in the 13 baptismal vows. I want to show you something so you understand a little bit of the thinking. Look at number 11 on page 29. It says, I know and understand the fundamental Bible principles as taught by the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Now, what would be the fundamental Bible principles taught by the Seventh-day Adventist Church? It would be the 28 fundamental beliefs, and I would even venture to say it would be those things that are placed in the officially voted church manual in the section that describes our belief system. Okay. Then it says, uh, I purpose by the grace of God to fulfill His will by doing what? Ordering my life in harmony with these principles. So when you use the terminology, ordering my life, what type of principle are we talking about? What type of thing are we talking about? A lifestyle or a practical thing, are we not? This is not just cognitive, but I'm going to order my life in harmony with this. So apparently, anything that is fundamental to Seventh-day Adventists, or let me back up, not everything that is fundamental to Seventh-day Adventists might be included in the 13 vows. That's why number 11 is there to say, I know and understand the fundamental beliefs and I will order my life in harmony with those. So just because there's a specific thing that is not you know, listed there does not mean that it's not part of what someone should prepare for when they're being baptized. And so you've now seen what we have placed in here as a, a, a good balance of commitments for what someone should do in preparation for baptism. And then you get to the last page and it says the journey continues. And it explains to the person preparing for baptism that after their baptism, we will have an ongoing process of discipleship to continue guiding them. Right? Now, in the new publication, the official 28 fundamental beliefs are going to be put as an appendix in this. So that it's very clear and a description of why we reordered and did some things in here. So it's very clear that this is not like a new, an attempt to change or anything like that, but it's a supportive document 
that has just got a different purpose. And it has as reference the other 20, the, the actual wording of the 28 fundamental beliefs and order in the appendix. So that's what you're going to get when you get the new one. Anybody have any questions about any of that? The new one should be roughly three months. I'm thinking three months. Um, they will be made available to the ABC, and then your churches will have to purchase them through the ABC. Yeah. I mean, as a general rule, this is a type of resource, and most of the GROW resources that we're creating are resources that, yes, you can buy them individually, but churches will want to obtain for use you know, themselves. The question is why we don't talk about eating blood uh, when, you know, or for that matter, we could talk about fat. Um, because we talk about unclean meats, but we don't clarify the eating of blood. I think the primary thing I would say to that is that there is some question, at least in my mind, okay, and I'm I'm giving you my own personal feeling. I will express to people um, the fact that blood and fat were not to be eaten. I will express that. But to make it something that they consider a commitment point makes it difficult because I'm not exactly sure what was the suitable practice for draining the blood. Today you could say, oh, you can only buy kosher. But I'm not persuaded that what Jews are doing today to make something kosher is what they did in that day to make something kosher. Like maybe something in that day was not what would not be considered kosher. You know what I mean? So I certainly will teach someone, look, man, when you when you look at a a cart and a thing and there's blood rolling down it, you know, take a hint, right? But having said that, to require someone to eat kosher when I'm not positive that that is, it seems a little bit arbitrary or maybe just inconclusive. And that's why I would educate on it, but I wouldn't necessarily put it in there as a required commitment. That's just where I, a personal thing. It's not an official church thing. Let's move on to the next topic. <laughs> it's getting, it's getting, time's getting by. <laughs> um, I'll give a brief something about medical marijuana. Um, as of right now, uh, we do not have a national uh, acceptance by law of you know, so we have states, but we do not have a national acceptance. And so as long as it's not legal even from a national standpoint, I think we have, we're on pretty solid ground. Secondly, um, I do think that we're going to need to nuance this a little bit because while there are, you know, there are drugs that we take for, that are pretty harmful for pain relief and that sort of thing, but they are very measured and taken in very careful ways. And I'm not convinced yet that the medical marijuana, uh, you know, people who are fine to let you, advocates, who are fine to have you smoking, which destroys the lungs, and, um, you know, as someone who lived a former life, (laughs) as someone who lived a former life, I understand certain things that make me think, hmm, you know, that's, there, there's got to be, if they're going to come up with something that is 
really medically sound and, and uh, accepted by everyone, it's going to have to be different than what it is now. And I'm not sure it'll ever get there. But anyway, so as long as we're in this current situation where not everyone is agreed on it, we'll take our stand on the side of temperance. And, uh, you know, I don't feel that we need to be landing on the side of medical marijuana people at all. Um, so I'm just thinking, you know, when you're talking about legal, yeah, but we're talking about medical. So, um, like, morphine is a strong addictive drug, but I would be fully supportive of someone who could not, who was in their dying period and could not, or, or just was surgically or whatever, in a place where there was no other way for pain relief. I would be fully supportive, if it's done in the right way, of them taking morphine. That's a different use. That, you'll notice in the booklet it said recreational use. Because even, I mean, I'm going to get in a little bit of water here, but even when you're talking about like caffeine, I may not choose it, but there are some people who take Excedrin, for instance, because they, you know, because there's uh, a level of caffeine that they believe opens up the pores and, you know, whatever. You know, migraines, right. I'm not here to say that that would prevent someone from being baptized or something like that. You understand what I'm saying? Because it's not recreational in that sense. So, anyway, that's why I say, not until there's a, a very different and universally accepted, even by the church, and I don't know that that will ever happen, because I'm just not real comfortable with the mediums by which they're trying to distribute this, and the way that they're saying that it's effective and all that. It's, it's not persuaded me, or most people, even outside of Adventism. So, I want to say just a word about the Cybership Handbook, because I didn't have time to walk through it. I kind of wanted to do a little walk-through. But let me just explain to you uh, how this works. What you want to do when someone is baptized is give them a copy of this and give a copy of this to a mentor. And the mentor is going to meet with them weekly. How, how, how often is that? Weekly. weekly. If you do it once every three weeks, once a month, it will not work. No. It won't work. This is just like we learned this because we, we tried trial this way. And, you know, well, meet as the schedules allow, whatever. It doesn't work. It just doesn't ever go. It doesn't ever pick up. So you do it weekly, and that's how it's built. There's 26 chapters for 26 weeks. How, many, how long is 26 weeks? Six months, half a year. So you meet once a week, and you review a chapter. Now, if you look on, in the back on page 253... It begins the weekly outlines that the mentor can use so that they know how to walk through the process. So each meeting is outlined. The orientation meeting and then meeting number one, meeting number two, etc. Now in those, there are things that the, um, the mentor is encouraged to bring up in the discussion. The new member can see that. There's no problem with that. This is totally transparent. We're here to encourage you in these areas. Okay, we're gonna, let's talk about this next. Let's talk about this next. Oh, um, it, you know, now is time where I need to introduce you to another member of the church because we want to make sure you know everybody. Some churches, they're going to know everybody in a week, right? And you'll just skip right over that. It'll be no problem. But when it comes to the time to, you know, invite them over for uh, Vespers in your home, you invite them over for Vespers in your home. It's totally transparent. The idea, and you tell them right from the start, is this process is an intentional one 
to kind of integrate you into the social fellowship of the church and to help you understand a little bit more about how the church works and what the church believes. And then as you get toward the end, it'll especially be helpful in training us on how to be active in soul winning because we believe that every disciple, every person who's baptized needs to learn how to win other people. And disciples, by definition, make other disciples. So you just tell them that right up front, and then this will be the guy that the mentor can use, and then you go through the chapters. The chapters are broken down under discipleship, the devotional life. The devotional life talks about the Bible, the spirit of prophecy, prayer, character development, family worship. It's very practical. After that, you get into witnessing, and it talks about the rise of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and its mission, and then it talks about how every individual is called to witness for Christ. And there's a practical application at the end of every chapter to, to encourage them. While this is happening, when you get to week number two, you read a chapter about the Bible in the devotional life section, right? And in the end of that chapter, it encourages the individual to begin a Bible reading plan, a daily Bible reading plan that reads the Bible and a corresponding passage from the writings of Ellen White. And that is all in the back in a reading plan. And it every day is laid out. It correlates where they read in the Bible and where they read in the Spirit of Prophecy. Which means that one of the first steps that the mentor needs to do is make sure that this person has access to the Spirit of Prophecy books they need, even if they're using an app, which I would not recommend. I'd recommend that you give them the books <laughs> um, and let them experience it. And if you can get them doing that, just that, reading through the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy over that six months, it will be life-changing. You'll set them on a course uh, as one of the most active people in your church. I can promise you. You can get them doing that. So one of the ways you do that is every day you meet after that, you'll notice in the, in the uh, weekly outlines that the first thing says devotional review. So the first thing you do before you read the chapter for that week is you say, now let, let's share an insight from our devotional time this week. I'm going to show you this text that I read. And you share the devotional insight. Okay, how about you? Now it's your turn. And you share some devotional insight. What is that doing? It's supporting them, but it's also creating a little accountability. So if it's not happening, you can encourage them. Hey, let's keep each other accountable. This week will be better. And you just encourage them. And you're trying to build spiritual habits. There's also the effort to try to build the habit of attending. Attending church, attending Sabbath school, attending prayer meeting. Or midweek Bible study, whatever your church has. So, um, that's the process. The book then goes into church life. It talks all about the history of the church, the organization of the Seventh-day Adventist church, the, the uh, sacred assemblies of the church, the ordinances of the church, all that's in there. Then it goes into lifestyle. talks about uh, Sabbath keeping, reverence, stewardship, health, modesty, uh, worldliness versus, you know, trying to remain pure, and then uh, health or uh, marriage and family. And then the last five chapters are on the cycle of evangelism. And it teaches them how to prepare the soil by friendship and service, how to plant seed by getting active and sharing literature, how to give a Bible study. These are the 14 point that just tells them how to give some a Bible study. And then how to get people to make decisions for Christ, and then encourages them at the very end to... Now that they've finished this process, to become a mentor to somebody else who's newer to the faith than them and walk them through this same book. Which is why I encourage churches, 
pastors and churches to take their entire church through it. Because once everyone goes through it, then everyone will understand what's involved and will be ready to mentor a newer person when they come in. Does everybody understand that? And, and you'll also note that the page numbers are not always the same in Spirit of Prophecy books. So there's a comment in the introduction that explains that, that if your page numbers are different or whatever, the reason that there's uh, chapter titles is so you can kind of approximate. You know, like if there's three days of the same chapter, then you're going to read about a third of the chapter, a third of the chapter, a third of the chapter. If your book doesn't happen to have the original paging. So yeah, you run into, you run into uh, hiccups like that. Um, how do you know which page, which have the original paging? Um, the best way I could tell you is to compare it. Well, first of all, if you buy any of the the ones in the in uh, by the Pacific Press currently prints in the blue hardback or or whatever, those are original paging. Um, some of them are not, but you'll find on the side of the page they put the original paging. So if you see that, you'll know that that's the original paging. If you can't really tell, then I would take the app, the Ellen White app, and I would look up something from the, you know, you put in a search for a statement and see if the page reference on the app is the same as on the book. If it's like totally different, because the app is based on the original paging. All right, let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, thank you for the time that you've given us here. Bless each person here as they seek to prepare people all the way to the decisions for baptism and as they seek to mentor people to becoming full, self-denying workers for you, disciples of their Lord Jesus who are winning other disciples. Bless each one here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio, and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.